learn to preach without my hands in my pockets. Mute that dumb thing. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm in the right church. I don't think I've ever been up here before 11.30. <laughs> so I got all this extra time. Just because I'm up early don't mean I'm going to quit early. I just want you to know that. I, uh, I look out here and I say, man, where's everybody? And then I realize we got those games uh, going on. Ah, oh, man. And there's my title up there. Blind. In one eye. Can't see out of the other. Now, if you're blind in one eye and you can't see out of the other, you do not need an optometrist. If you're blind in one eye and you can't see out of the other, you don't need a new pair of glasses. You need a miracle. New Testament style miracle. Well, we're going to turn today, we're going to study, keep your Bibles open there, to Matthew the sixth chapter. For those of you using a pew Bible, it's page 971. We're gonna, the Bible's got something to say about not seeing clearly. Matthew, the sixth chapter, page 971 in the pew Bibles, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is sound, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is not sound or healthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? For years, I looked at that passage and really didn't see its full impact. And it's only the context of that passage that will help us see what it's driving at, what true blindness from a biblical perspective is all about. Now, blindness is not my topic today. My topic is down in verse 33. Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be yours as well. We're starting a new series, I think as Pastor Brian mentioned. It's called Welcoming Abundance. Welcoming Abundance, and Brian, I'm going to add three words. Welcoming abundance in a healthy way. Because you know, we can get lots of abundance and be blind as bats about what life is all about. Abundance in itself is not enough. Well, let's go to the context of our passage about blindness. That's uh, up in verse 19. Verse 19 of chapter 6. Do not 
lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in to steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now they're talking about their culture. Jesus is talking about, you know, the two great symbols of wealth were clothing. Remember Elijah's servant? Uh, he chased it after that guy and he wanted some clothes because clothes were wealth. Food was wealth. Better than moth, it might be worm here. Food, store it up. But you know what? If you store it up in a hot climate, the worms are liable to get it. And where are you going to put your wealth? I mean, there was no safe banks. You, you dig a hole in your, in your field or in your floor of your house and bury your gold, and somebody digs through and gets it. Now, in our day, we wouldn't use these illustrations. Clothes at Costco. You know, I love Costco. You can buy 12 things you don't need for half the price of one. <laughs> we got abundance coming out of our ears. But you know, I, I think I'm going to put my trust in my 401k or my 403, I'm going to put it in the stock market or in my real estate or something. Well, that's a lot of us. It's a, it's a temptation. Hey, and you kind of need that stuff if you're going to live and retire and do all those sorts of things. I once saw a bumper sticker that I love. Well, I like the second one better. The first one says, he who dies with the most toys wins. The second one says, he who dies with the most toys still dies. <laughs> there, there's something more important than what we gain on this earth. I'm challenged, and I truly am challenged, by a little statement in Steps to Christ, page 58, that says, basically, we can tell where our hearts are when we evaluate what we think about in our spare time. Ooh, that's a scary one. <laughs> if our fondest thoughts are about Christ, that's one thing. But my fondest thoughts too often are elsewhere. Where are my values? Or, as my wife said, where are my priorities? What is the most important thing in my life? My treasure. For where my treasure is, my heart will be also. And if I have that wrong, I'm not partially blind. I'm not partially wrong. I'm totally wrong. I'm blind in one eye and can't see out of the other. Where we place our priorities is absolutely crucial. 
Now let's go down to verse 24. Verses 19 to 21 are about right before the passage on blindness. Verse 24 is right after it. Powerful little passage. No one can serve two masters. For either we will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, cannot serve two masters. Now there's several things to note about this passage. When it says no one can serve two masters, it says it twice. It's impossible. It's not something you might try to do. I mean, you can try it, but it's impossible. And the word masters there is probably not the best translation of the Greek kurios. It's Lord. No one can save two lords. And that is the word used in the Old Testament in the Greek version to describe Yahweh, describe Christ. No one can save two gods. No one. Something, somebody is going to be your God. And, and we have choices. No one can serve two gods. For, oh, by the way, that word serve is another interesting word. comes from the Greek word doulos. And it doesn't mean serve. That's diakonos. We got deacons. They serve. A doulos is a slave. Oh, my. The Bible teaches, really, that we're all slaves to something. We're either slaves to God in heaven, or we're a slave to whatever... God we've chosen here on earth. No, no, no. This is totalitarian stuff. When we belong to God as Lord, he has complete control of our lives, or we can surrender and let him lead our lives day by day. No one can serve two masters, for either hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, some of you are using the NIV. That's the Pew Bible. It doesn't say mammon. It says money. That's true, but that's not what it says. It's got another word. It's mammon. That's a pagan word. It's the god of wealth. The god of wealth. In one of their Near Eastern cultures. 
It's a pagan word. And when you say money, you really kind of take half of the meaning away. Because when you serve money as your God, that is a pagan concept. It's outside the realm of Christianity. It's outside the realm of biblical truth. You cannot serve God and money. You know, this is a pretty serious question, really. Now, by the way, God's got nothing against money. We're going to come to that. You just can't make it your God. But it's easy to do. Preachers and teachers and professors don't make much money. You know what? You don't have to make much money to worship the stuff. Poor people have just as much a temptation as rich people. Well, almost as much. Our priorities are absolutely central. Verse 24. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You cannot, impossible, serve God and mammon. That is a call to make the God of heaven our God. It's a call for decision, for our priorities, for our values, what we're going to live for, what's most important in our lives. Verse 24 is a call to get our priorities straight, and if you've got them wrong, you're not partially nearsighted, you are totally blind. Priorities is the name of the game. We've looked at the two treasures in verses 19 and 21, we looked at the two eyes. In verses 22 and 23, and we've looked at the two lords. In verse 24. And that brings us to the two attitudes. The two attitudes in verses 25 32, the two attitudes. Most of us think of this as a passage about worry. I mean, that's the way it starts out, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. That is, have a worrying attitude. Not that you don't have concerns, but this is a way of life, worry. You know what the opposite, biblically, from the concept of being anxious is, it's trusting. Trusting. The two attitudes, and they're linked up with the two treasures, the two eyes, and the two lords. And worry comes up here because people worry about their material goods. 
what they're going to eat or what they're going to wear or whether it'll look right. I'm looking at you, brother, because you're safe to look at and I'm safe to look at. I don't ever worry about what people think I'm going to wear. My wife, you know, I mean, we're all different. We all, she worries about that. I worry about having to put food on the table. (laughs) She's anxious about how she's going to fix it. We're all got something to tie us up and to keep us preoccupied. What do I worry about? What what kind of nags on me? Well, let's just take a look here at verses... uh, 25 and 26, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you should eat or what you should drink, about, nor about your body, what you should put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? There's several arguments against worthy here. One of them is it's, it's unnecessary. We've got a God who knows our basic needs. We don't have to worry about that. The one that takes care of the flowers and the birds, says Jesus, can take care of us. So number one, the attitude of worry is uh, unnecessary. Verse 27, verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, can add one cubit, 18 inches, to a span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the, well, second one is basically that worry is useless. My little brother didn't grow much until he was 18. Up until that time, he looked like he was about 12. And I'm positive that he worried about it. He worried about it for four or five years, and it never added one inch to his height. (laughs) Kind of a stupid exercise, right? You know. The third, worry is not the first. Worry is uh, unprofitable, it's useless, it's unnecessary. And lastly, verse 32, the first part, for the Gentiles seek all these things. The Gentiles worry about all these things. Worry is pagan. It's acting as if you have no father in heaven. And then we come to our passage for today. Verse 33. Verse 33, but seek first. Seek first. Now now we're still dealing with priorities. All of this stuff is priorities. All of it is values. What is it that's important in our life? What is it we seek first? What is it that we think about first? Seek first. His kingdom and his righteousness and all these things 
it'll be yours as well. In the context, it seems to me, Jesus is saying, if you really want to worry, worry about your relationship with God. If you really want to worry, worry about your relationship with God. But you don't have to do that. You can act. And acting is all about what Jesus is saying in this verse. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first. I don't have to worry. Jesus has told me exactly what I can do to get my eyes and my priorities and my values right. And there's no way I can go wrong. And this concept of seeking doesn't mean hunting and pecking on, you know, it means striving. Strive. Seek. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The Bible has a teaching of two kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this earth. We're citizens of both. But one is eternal. The other passes away. Seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness. How do I do that? It's how I order my life. What do I do with my life? Does God have any place in my life? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Well, part of that means that I want to be saved. I, I want to confess to Jesus that I've got problems. And he justifies us by his grace. That, that's part of his righteousness. Jesus said those in the, the Beatitudes, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. Part of that righteousness is God's justifying grace. Part of it is sanctifying righteousness, which makes us different from the world. It takes self-centered people and makes them into lovers. That's the kingdom of God on earth. He takes selfishness and makes it into love. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. That is the fruit of the Spirit. That is the kingdom of God on this earth. Joy, peace, love, patience. Oh my, already I see more reason to ask for forgiveness. <laughs> I don't, you know, it's hard to be a Christian all the time, isn't it? Can't I ever be pensioned off? Let people have it. You know, you don't want to let people have it once in a while. You're not normal. But God wants abnormal people. He wants us to seek 
his kingdom first. He wants to infill us with his spirit. He wants us to get on our knees and say, God, I don't want to be like a Ben. I want to be like you are. And that affects many parts of my life in a practical way. As Brian, Pastor Brian mentioned, we're having a, a, an extra uh, sort of series on stewardship. That's part of it. Well, stewardship is more than money. Do I put God first when I think about my finances, my tithe and my offering, and let him bless the rest? Do I think about God first when I get up in the morning? Do I, you know, even read one verse from Scripture? What about prayer? Sometimes it's kind of hard. I've learned I, uh, in my old age, uh, you know, I, I used to like to pop out of bed at 5. Now I don't pop out until five after five. Because I like to pray a little bit first that God will bring joy in my life this day and that I might be a joy to someone this day. I want to put God first. That doesn't mean that he gets the most. After all, you've got a job, you've got to work eight eight hours a day. You're a mother. That takes time. But somewhere God's got to show up if you've got any sight at all. Right? God wants us to seek him that his kingdom might be in us on this earthly life so that we will be fit for the life to come. The kingdom of God is here and now as Jesus lives out his life in each of us. And the kingdom of God is yet to come for everyone who has Jesus in their heart. Seeking God's will, God's way, God's principles, God's values, God's priorities. Is first. If our eyes are truly seeing, put God first. Ah, let's go back. Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be yours as well. God has got nothing against things. He just wants to change our priorities. He wants us to put things after him. God has nothing against a nice car. We need it for transportation. But if I got a new Corvette, I'm liable to be worshiping the thing before I know it. <laughs> I'm liable to put some other God in that place. Or my beauty, well, let's forget it. The beauty thing's over for me. Yeah, it's uh, disappeared down the drain. Or position. Or the admiration of others. There's a million gods that we can serve. Now, I want to 
use, God, God wants to transform us. He wants to give us new eyes in the same way that Jesus healed the blind. And I'm going to go now to one of my favorite biblical illustrations of Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. We're going to go back to the Old Testament. We're going to go back to the story of Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 3 Page 332 in the Pew Bible, 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon started out with both eyes open. He had his priorities right. He saw clearly. what it was all about. Chapter 3, verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. Okay, this was a good start. Now Solomon has a dream. The dream is down here in verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask whatever you want. How would you like, you know, that'd be nice. You could ask God for whatever you want. And verse 9. This is Solomon's answer. Give thy servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern thy people that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern thy great people? Ah, this is Solomon at his best. Both spiritual eyes are opened. God says, what do you want? And he says, I want a heart and a mind that will help me be faithful to you in governing your people. Hey, man, that is great. Solomon was seeking first God's kingdom. And God says in verse 10, It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have made for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been, has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. 
And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will strengthen your days. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. This is the young Solomon. He had it all put together. He asked for godly wisdom, and God gave him everything else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this stuff, things, shall be added unto you. But you know what? Solomon didn't keep straight. Solomon lost his focus. Solomon eventually became blind in one eye and couldn't see out of the other. That takes us to page 344, 1 Kings 11. 1 Kings 11. Solomon lived in an age when oriental potentates, kings and emperors lived on a high scale. Solomon copied them. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women daughters of Pharaoh, and Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonians, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall you, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their God. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. And when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. Wow. You know, sometimes we get blinded and we think we've got to outdo everybody else. Now, I don't know what it means to have 700 wives. I know the little kid in Sunday school said Solomon had 700 wives and 300 porcupines. <laughs> and I got a sneaking suspicion if you got that many of them together, you might have porcupines. <laughs> I mean, this guy went nuts! Meanwhile, he's, he's forming alliances with Pharaoh and everybody else through marriage. He gets blinded to God's ways, his priorities are no longer the same. His values have shifted. He doesn't know what to do with his money. Of course, he could have blessed people with it. That'd be a nice idea, but he bought peacocks and apes and all kinds of other things. Solomon started out with clear vision. He ended up totally messed up spiritually. Verse 9, and the Lord was angry with Solomon, and it goes on. 
called Solomon's kingdom will be divided. But that's not the end of Solomon. Solomon may have started out with clear eyesight. He might have been in the middle period of his life, probably most of his life, messed up on his priorities and his values, blind in one eye, can't see out of the other. But near the end of his life, he got reconverted. Sometimes we need to be reconverted. We started out good, messed up. God wants us to come back to him and seek first his kingdom and then all these blessings and things shall be added unto you. Ecclesiastes, the first chapter. Ecclesiastes, the first chapter, Pew Bible 663. 663 Ecclesiastes. You know, I've been, uh, I've been kind of fascinated with Ecclesiastes lately. I guess because I know I've come pretty near the end of my life. Now, my wife hopes I've got a few years left, and I'm, I hope so, but you know, now that I'm past 80 and I'm looking backwards, I'm saying, uh, you know, maybe I better read Ecclesiastes again. Maybe Solomon has something to say to me. We've got a communication, a couple of communications from Joyce's caregivers yesterday. That is uh, Joyce Heim. One is that she has maybe 24 hours. Joyce is my age. We both celebrated our eighth decade completed last year. We're the same age. The other communication, Joyce says, and I love this, this is typical Joyce. I had no idea how hard it is to die. <laughs> I mean, this is reality. So here I am. What am I going to do with my stuff? Got 11,000 books. What am I going to do with all that stuff? That's just the tip of an iceberg. Stuff. I've collected stuff all my life. My parents collected stuff. Those kids are wondering what to do with it. To them, it looked like pure treasure. To us, a whole lot of it looks like junk. <laughs> Things look different when you're looking back than when you're looking forward. Stuff. Things. Solomon had it all. He had women. Whew. Well, at least a thousand of them that he married or made into concubines. He had money, everybody. Even the Queen of Sheba came to visit him. He had knowledge. Whew. Nobody smarter than Solomon. He had all of it, and he tells us about this in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, but what is his conclusion? Looking back at a life that had wealth in every possible form. 
I have read these two chapters. I'm not going to read two chapters to you, but I have read these two chapters over and over and over since my last birthday. I was like, the old boy might have got his eyeballs straightened out. No longer blind in one eye and counts to the out of the other. Now he's seeing out of both eyes and he's not particularly happy with what he sees. Go to verse 1. Ecclesiastes 1. Now a good exercise is to read Ecclesiastes 1 and Ecclesiastes 12 from time to time. Forget the stuff in between for now. Chapter 1. The word of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, foolishness. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? One place he says in this book, well, I just got to leave it to my kids. <laughs> yeah, you come to the end and what do you got? You got a body that no longer functions. You got desires that no longer function. You got eyes that no longer. Are oh, you going to tell us about this? We won't get there. And I like the last verse of chapter 1. Ah, second to the last verse. Let's go to 16. I said to myself, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my mind to know wisdom. Anyway, he goes on, and he's, this is a conclusion of the entire chapter. He tells him, you know, he's had the most of everything. He says it's like a striving after the wind. Now, you better get it right. All these things that we're striving after are priorities. These things are important. Wisdom is important. A healthy marriage is important. All of these things are important, but when you come down to the end, if that's all you've got, it's vanity and foolishness. If that's all you've got. If all you've got is a pile of money, that's it. <laughs> Vanity. It's like trying to grab the wind. As I like to say, happiness in life is eating cotton candy. About the time you got a mouthful, it's gone. Everything on this earth is transient. Now let's go to verse chapter 12. Chapter 12, page 671. 671. Verse 1. This is Solomon's final conclusion after he wanders through 11 chapters of discussing all the great things that he achieved and all the great things that he had and all the great things that he did. Remember also, Verse 1, your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw nigh when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Anyway, before the, and he talks about his eyes dimming, his teeth wearing out, and on and on and on, and then down to verse 7, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And then his ultimate conclusion. Verses 13 and 14, the end of the matter 
the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's the conclusion of the world's wisest man. The man who had everything and came to the end and realized he couldn't take it with him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The most important thing in life Right now, today, is our priorities. It's our values. It's what we spend our energies doing. Making money for my wife or loving my wife. Spending t excess time on my job or spending time with those kids. Am I going to spend my money, my time? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. May God heal our eyesight. That's the whole story. May God Help us with our priorities right now, not tomorrow, but today. So we pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for the rather discouraging story of Solomon. But Lord, we're all a Solomon in some stage. And we just pray right now that you'll help us with our priorities, with our values with who we're going to serve. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.